listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday afternoon. Let's turn to our first guest and topic of today. We're talking about uh, looking after your mental health during the coronavirus outbreak, as many of us are maybe working from home and many of us are doubling up on duties and whatnot and feeling quite anxious about what's happening around in Hong Kong. Should we be wearing a face mask? Should we be avoiding gatherings and not seeing friends and family? Um, so it's, it can be quite a stressful situation. And to mull over this topic, we are chatting with Alison Halexa, a psychotherapist at MindWorks, which is part of the OT&P Healthcare, and she's also the founder of Rethink the Couch. Welcome to the program, Alison. Thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Thank you so much, Noreen. It's great to speak to you again. Again, I wish you were in the studio with us, but alas, social distancing gets to the best of us at RTHK, and we've, uh, we have to have all our guests over the phone these days. Yes, yes, indeed, and I think it's a good thing that we we model this to to the rest of the community. Absolutely. Well, let's jump right into it. Now, what's sort of, from your observation, what's the sort of the overall mood uh, and and the effects of COVID-19 so far that you've seen uh, on our mental health? Yeah, I think that the the mood has been dramatically um, shifted, right? So I think all of us as individuals and also just collectively have felt a large sense of anxiety. So just kind of not really knowing what the future holds. I think starting to really wonder that if this has shown up, what else could show up? So I think, again, the anxiety individually and collectively is quite high. Um, depression is something else, Noreen, that I'm seeing show up a lot these days. So just that sense of... You know, thinking back to the past, thinking about what what life was like before the virus hit. So both the anxiety and depression are very real. Um, with that, also, I'm just seeing a lot of people who are expressing a deep sense of isolation and loneliness. So this does not necessarily mean that people are living by themselves, although we are seeing people who are living by themselves feel feel quite a profound sense of, of both isolation and loneliness. But this also goes for people who are living with other people, because a lot of us, um, while we do, of course, lean on our family members and community members um, you know, a lot for that social interaction, a large part of our, our social network has really been cut off by this idea of social distancing, which we know is the most responsible thing to do, but for our mental health can can really make us feel quite um, quite lonely and isolated. Absolutely, and and this is sort of um, the other thing to, to add to it. I mean, that the straw that broke the camel's back with the anxiety here in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, if we look back at a few months ago, it was just the protests and, um, and and the political unrest that's sort of been on people's mind, and again, also affecting people's uh, mental health. Now, Alison, you wrote a, a wonderful piece uh, for the SCMP, um, uh, which sort of addresses both the protests and the virus as well. Tell us a little bit more about your piece yeah so what i what i had written about in the south china morning post um in the saturday issue was just this one-two punch that we've experienced in hong kong right so first it was with the protests and then the second punch came with the virus and so now noreen as we see worldwide obviously the virus it's become a pandemic so other countries are dealing with it but i really wanted to speak to the uniqueness that we're experiencing here in hong kong given that we had the first kind of beat to our immune, collective immune system with the protests and now we're experiencing 
the second punch with the virus. So the the situation kind of I'm describing in there, of course, has made a lot of people question the future in Hong Kong and kind of, you know, what, what we could expect going forward. And the article I was trying to use as really an affirmation of my commitment of living here as an expat and that even even though, you know, I've been here for 10 years, that I, I feel even more than ever I want to stay here and I really want to help kind of rebuild Hong Kong and recommit to this sense of, of resilience that, yes, we've been hit really hard with this protest and then with the virus, but I do still firmly believe in, in Hong Kong's future and most importantly, its people. Absolutely. And and we do see a lot of expats who have, you know, like yourself, called Hong Kong their home and uh, definitely have shown so much solidarity in Hong Kong but by not leaving and just really believing, uh, you know, something good will come out of this at the end. Let's talk a little bit more about um, some of your, your clients. Now, um, what what are some of the common issues that, that they've experienced? You mentioned you've seen a rise in anxiety and depression. Yes, absolutely. So I'm seeing a lot of clients come in with both anxiety and depression, um, and those two things for a lot of people are really living side by side these days. Um, that sense of really being alone, feeling trapped, so a lot of that kind of intense cabin fever. Um, also just not knowing how to prioritize. So a lot of people are feeling really overwhelmed. So they have to kind of be able to get through the day themselves by working at home, by working from home or doing, you know, chores at home. But they also often are now having to tutor their children, take care of their parents, um, and just sort of start to be able to prioritize in different ways. So I'm seeing a lot, a lot of overwhelm. Um, and just this general sense, Noreen, of just being on, on edge. Like I'm seeing a lot of people who just have this very jittery sense of not knowing again of, of what the future is really going to hold. And, and when we spoke earlier right about that one-two punch, it makes sense that people in Hong Kong would especially kind of feel that, that on-edge jittery feeling. Absolutely. I've got a friend who, you know, who, who works, who's working uh, from home these days, but, she, you know, she's got to also tutor her boys for, for their homeschooling yeah. as well. And looking at her timetable, it's, uh, it's, it's quite difficult to be working your full time job from your home and, you know, helping your son with Mandarin lesson from 10 till 11 and then doing geography from 11 till 12. And then it's lunchtime. And then from from two till three, it's maths. And then from three till four, it's English. And, you you know, people are like, well, I'm going to have to quit my full-time job in order to f- homeschool my kids full-time. And th- it is quite a stressful situation for, for, for many working parents. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very difficult to know how to prioritize, right? I mean, if you look at, for example, even someone working, right, in sales, you might have a sales target, but they also have targets and goals for their children, right? Like, which do they start to, to, to prioritize? Or for people who, you know, need to be in, in, in a work environment where they're still having to go into work, you know, how do they then have someone who's tutoring their children? So it's all getting, I think, just very complicated. And I think we're just feeling this sense of fatigue, right, from from trying so hard and trying to really balance, again, these different different demands. Another another stress that I'm also, you know, seeing a big uptick in, in, in my clientele is um, because I work a lot with couples, I'm seeing um, couples come in where one person is wanting to leave Hong Kong or one is feeling a much higher level of stress. And I think managing that has become um, quite quite challenging in this environment. So that's certainly another thing to add on top of your earlier question in terms of what I'm seeing is just this 
wow. sense of overwhelm is manifesting with the couples. So what happens when one person in the couple wants to leave and then the other one wants to stay? Yeah, it's, it's you know what, I wish I just had one one blanket answer. <laughs> you know, one size fits all, of course. You know, it's it's the old cliche, it depends, but it really does, does Noreen, because there are couples who, you know, will break up over this. There are couples where the relationship cannot endure this kind of stress. But the silver lining in what I'm seeing with couples is that, this situation is actually forcing their hand to have larger conversations about their goals and their values as a couple. So yes, there are some where the relationship is not going to be able to endure their stress, or if one wants to leave and one wants to stay, then obviously there's a there's a very critical decision that has to has to be made. But in in a good a good majority of couples, I'm seeing that silver lining finally, which is like this is going to force us to actually get on to a very um, important conversation, which is like, what what is important to you in your life as individuals, as couples? What do you want for your family? What are your goals? What are your values? And can we start to navigate those big questions that maybe we didn't have to answer up until that up until this point? Absolutely. And of course, you know, sometimes the, one of the options is really to repatriate and to, to go back home, you know, wherever that, that might be. But there could be issues that may arise from that as well, you know, settling the kids back into a new system and trying to find employment. And it can be also quite stressful. I mean, have you sort of heard um, about expats having a, a difficult time sort of thinking about leaving and, and then um, sort of... Uh, sort of readjusting back home. Yes, absolutely. And with with a lot of my clients, you know, we we try to go through that exercise of the seduction of elsewhere, right? So like all of us were pulled here for a certain reason and a lot of us are feeling pulled away for for reasons that seem very romantic right in the moment and kind of releases us from this pain that we feel that we're we're in by being here. But um, I do try to work very closely with them, to be honest, about what the challenges might be when they do return home, right? So that's the, the the conversation obviously is focused on different factors based on the couple and the family's makeup, but a big thing is just even about the child care, right? So people don't realize how much they lean on domestic help until they often repatriate and they realize that even in their minds, if they fantasize that family members are going to come over and help all the time, that those family members often have lives of their own and do not become full-time helpers. So that's one kind of thing that I think people have a lot of time um, being challenged by. I think the other thing is that we, we underestimate when we live in foreign countries how much we change while we're there. So often when we imagine going back, we imagine ourselves as we were before we actually moved here, not accounting for the actual changes. So I try to go through that exercise of really having people understand what are going to be the new responsibilities when you go home, you know, how is the freedom going to be negotiated in a different way? And let's talk about really the changes that you've undergone while you've been here, because you're not going back in the same form that you left. Absolutely. You, you often hear people saying, oh, I've, I get a culture shock <laughs> when yes. they're going home. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. if you've experienced that yourself, but have you ever experienced, oh, it, this is not how I remembered it was like... Yes, absolutely. That that reverse culture shock is is real, and I've certainly experienced it. And one of the the layers that I find most fascinating is when you're having that experience of being shocked in your own culture, and yet 
you can't really talk about it with people in your own culture. So it sort of puts you in this bind of, I'm in my own culture, I'm shocked by being here, but I actually can't talk to the people in the culture because I'm shocked by the fact that I'm in their presence. So yeah, it's it's an absolutely real phenomenon. And as much as you know, we try to talk through that, um, and I do try to mention that, of course, with my clients, it's it's something that's a really cellular experience. You know, you have to sort of move through that to really get the layers of how it feels to be shocked in, in, in your own cultural context. Yeah. Well, Alison, you, you mentioned a really good point just now about because people are trying to flatten the curve and therefore socially yeah. distancing themselves. But then you raised the point that, you know, loneliness and these kind of feelings sort of ar- arise. Uh, yeah. what, what sorts of tools do you have for people experiencing these loneliness? Because as much as it is a temporary it's temporary and it will pass um the the days are awfully long and we thought we had things under control in hong kong and now we're being hit by a second wave and it does seem it's it's a bit uh yeah the future just looks a bit sort of all gloomy yeah no for sure and i think you know loneliness is one of the one of the many epidemics we're we're trying to work through are really pandemics that we're trying to work through at this point. So, you know, I would say try to really think about at this point who are the people you want to pull as closely in as possible and see what you can do to translate the experiences you normally have with them in person online. So whether that means having a virtual lunch together, having happy hour, you know, and just chatting about things, going online, playing games, doing some exercise classes. Um, And I would say with that, it's also an opportunity to think about some new connections you'd like to make. So there are some really wonderful groups that are forming online. Um, and this might be an opportunity to pull in the people um, you want to be close with through through using the virtual mediums, but also think about um, making new connections during this time. Of course, if you are living with people at home, to try to be mindful of the, the experiences that you're able to have with them at this point. So yes, I'm sure many of us, are, our kids are driving us nuts, but we probably can balance that with some of the, the really kind of um, sweet family time that we might be experiencing. I would say also just use this time wisely to actually do to be involved with some of the interests that we all talk about but we put off. So like read the books that you've always wanted, right? Like start to connect with with characters and books or write that book that you've always dreamed about. So do the things that you have always kind of talked about but have have then excused by having not enough time to do it or have not been forced to kind of, you know, stay put long enough to actually get it done. And really, you know, ultimately, Noreen, is just remind yourself that this will pass. Exactly. So as intense as the emotions are, as intense as loneliness can be, and, and, and loneliness can be a true killer, um, just remind yourself that this is going to pass. We are in really um, this deep sense of uncertainty right now, so it's normal to, to wonder whether it's going to pass, but I don't think we should be so narcissistic and believe that, you know, this is, this is, this is going to be the final final part of humanity. There's a lot lot more to come, and I think that Hong Kong will ultimately um, come out of this, Prevail. and my hope is the yes. rest of the world will too. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. It is very surreal these times, and I'm noticing on social media there are I'm, I'm generalizing a bit, but there are really two groups, p- people who are sort of very fearful of, of, the, of the virus. And there are others who are sort of, well, you know, now I get to bake for my kids. I've always wanted to bake mm-hmm. for my kids. Or I finally get to come home at a decent time and, and or even stay at home at, uh, um, for, for dinner or for lunch and really yeah. spend time with their children. But then there's also the role of social media, which I think we've touched on 
in the past uh, previous yes. uh, chats, it really can magnify these anxiety, these feelings of anxiousness, and it can make you feel more sort of doomed. Oh, yes. Yes, and I think, you know, just like we've got to be careful with our food consumption, so too is true with social media, right? So so instead of just focusing on, you know, how much kale you're eating, I would I really think very carefully about how much media you're taking in and, and more importantly, the sources, right? Because there's no shortage of news these days, but combing through and really finding reputable sources is a really key point, but also thinking about the boundaries you need with the consumption, right? So maybe that means only logging on once a day, or maybe that means logging on at a certain time, but really thinking about how social media does impact your your mental well-being is a key point right now, because there's just no shortage of panic, and not that the panic's not rooted in something. It's obviously we're going through something um, really horrific right now. It's not it's not a rosy situation, but just be careful with how much you consume and and in what form. Well said, Alison. And for our listeners who want to uh, read Alison's piece uh, in uh, the South China Morning Post, uh, you can Google SEMP and Alison Halexa and you'll find her coronavirus or protest Hong Kong is home, why this expat will stay masked and carry on. Uh, meanwhile, many thanks for your time this week. And that's Alison Halexa, a psychotherapist at MindWorks, which is part of the OT&P Healthcare and the founder of Rethink the Couch. Thank you very much indeed for your time, Alison.